Hello and welcome. You've tuned into the School of Ministry podcast. Paul is your Bible teacher today. He has years of experience as a pastor, seminary instructor, and more. Later, you will be given information how to reach us. If you have questions you would like addressed, let us know. Maybe you have a need in your life and want to know how the Bible gives answers that apply to us today. Feel free to contact us. Now enjoy the lesson. We should note that James is not distinguishing between internal and external trials. Sometimes it's hard for us to determine that ourselves. Sometimes it's hard to say because sometimes it starts as an external trial but it becomes internal. When we begin to think about it, when we begin to uh, mull it over, we begin to build on it and consider it, it becomes internal. That which was started on the outside, well that's not much of a trial but then when it gets and festers in our mind It's a trial. And James is not saying, here are external things and then later you're going to get temptation. That's not what he's saying. Uh, Which is the internal thing. Any trial may be external and internal. The Christian life doesn't make any kind of distinction in that. There are just trials in general and our life is made up of all kinds of misunderstandings, unfulfilled dreams, unmet expectations, great loss, Sometimes great loneliness, fear, criticism, persecution, conflict. This is the start that comes from the outside. But that's life. Sooner or later, they end up on the inside. And that's what makes it a trial. And all of them come. If you look at verse 3, he says, Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. It's going to come. These tests are going to come. And you see whether or not your faith is real and how strong your faith is. And you see what a substance is. And they are the trials, the test of the genuineness. Those that can claim that they have true faith, that they have stood the test and the strength because of their faith. And in that sense, this can really only apply to true believers. Because unbelievers, when they go through that and they don't have the Lord really there to help them and carry them through, they see where it's lacking. And remember, James' purpose now is to test faith. And when you go through a trial, we ought to look at that trial. We ought to examine it in the light of of what we're learning and what it says here about our faith. And that's what we learn from this. If you persevere through trials as a pattern of life, if you persevere through sufferings as a pattern of life, if you do not abandon your trust in God, even if you continue on in that genuine faith, you're going to see Robert Johnson, one of the old, old commentators years ago, he said this, James shows that where there is but an empty profession or a merely dreamy sentiment unbased on firm and intelligent convictions of faith, the fire of trouble will burn them up. I like that. Further he goes on and he says, but where there is true faith, 
Affliction naturally leads to deeper thought than under the circumstances on sin and its deserts, and thus frees the heart from the control of self-righteousness. The source of weakness leads to earnest wrestling with God in prayer and experience of the sustaining grace thus obtained strengthens and exhilarates hope with regard to the time and the outcome. I think that's a rich statement. Thing that talks about what's he saying? Basically, what he's saying here is that if you were a false believer and you're put to the test, it inevitably will blow you away. Inevitably, you'll you'll walk away. It'll burn him up. But you put a true believer to the test, it will drive him to despair over his own weaknesses. It will drive him in prayer to lean upon the Lord in greater ways. It will cause him to recognize his own weakness and God's strength. You see, that's what our faith does. So trials then, for an imitation faith, it'll burn it up. But the trial for true faith, even though it may cause us pain, the pain of inadequacy, of weakness, causes us to turn from self-righteousness and to cast ourselves upon the strength of God. Trouble, affliction. Because of James, James wants a test for a living faith. James wants us to test out how our faith is real and alive. And it begins in this section. And if we go down to verse 12, where he says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For he who has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Here's the declaration. Here's the blessedness. One who passes the test. Blessed, by the way, means happy. Happy is the man. Blessed is the man. Better yet, it means satisfied. Satisfied is the man who trusts. Satisfied is that man. That's a state of the soul of joy. James 5.11 says the same thing. Behold, we count them happy who endure. And then he says, remember the patience of Job. He reminds us back about how Job was patient and waited for God. So we consider people truly happy who endure, who make it through the trials. So now this happiness isn't due to freedom from trial. This happiness is due to victory in the trial. It helps us to recognize that there's a big difference that how the child of God goes through trials and how the man of this world goes through trials. It's not a cliche happiness to someone someone who's never known conflict. It's the exhilaration of having gone through the conflict and won. You fought the fight. It's not the happiness of a spectator. It's the happiness of the participant. Happy, satisfied, fulfilled with that inner joy. And if this is what is the issue is in verse 12 it's enduring temptation to sin it's enduring the testings of this life and if that's just meant testing of sin then he would have said happy is the man who endures or happy is the man who resisted but really it's blessed satisfied is the one who finds victory in the trials victory in the temptations who endures it and goes on There are three key words here in verse 12. Endure, 
and the word trial and the word tested. These three words also appear in verse 2 and 3, as we've just seen. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing this, that the testing of your faith works patience. Let patience have her perfect work. Count it all joy. The testing of your faith produces endurance. If we have a trial, a testing, endurance in verses 2 and 3, if you have a trial and testing and then in verse 12, and I endure, then we can conclude that verse 12 is talking about the same thing that 2 and 3 are talking about. And those first two verses are kind of in a text or kind of in a bracket that there's a whole lot of other things that are in between. And we're going to talk about those in next week, Lord willing. But he has the same thing in mind from verse 2 and verse 12. That's important. And I just want to lay a little groundwork because we're going to look at some very, very practical things to help us. That's why in verse 12 he says, Blessed is the man that endures. Just like in verse 3. The testing of your faith works endurance. The same idea, the same word. Now to endure in verse 12 means to patiently, triumphantly endure. It doesn't mean, oh, I made it, I endured it. This isn't a passive endurance, it's a survival. It is a pressing and working of your faith. It is that which carries the idea of being a winner. Hoopomen. It's an active, a present active indicative, which only means this. To patiently, triumphantly know that you're headed toward a point, that you're going toward something, that you're headed toward a goal. You see, that's the idea that he's saying, that you're going and you're running the race to be the winner. You see the goal line, you see the finish line, and you're walking, you're continuing on, you're pressing on. That's what it shows as the genuine Christian, and that he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord will give to those who love him. You know, through the years, maybe you've seen, I've seen, people that have come to church, they profess Christ, they may be baptized, join the church, but then trials come and they're gone. They never come back. Maybe they got burned in a relationship. They got their eyes on the world. Something didn't work out. Maybe they came and they had to go through some kind of a struggle. Maybe a dear friend, a member of the family died. Something happened. It was just overpowering and they walked away. Maybe they shook their fist at God. That was it. You see, perseverance through trial is the proof of living on and continuing on. Hi, let me interrupt very quickly to let you know and update you with some information. You can contact us at schoolofministryresources.org, all runs together, or contact me personally at paul at landmarkstockton.com. We also have online services on Facebook at Landmark Stockton that all runs together. Or if you're interested in our church history sessions, you can look on YouTube under Landmark Stockton, two separate words in that place. 
We'd love to send you information and we're always so glad to hear from our listeners. So please feel free to contact us and we'll get right back to you. Thank you. Now back to our podcast. Now in James 12, James calls those who persevere them that love him. That's wonderful. That's basically that he's saying the endurance of the attitude toward the Lord in salvation. We love him. We love him. Why? Because he first loved us. And so we're, we're pressing on. That's all about a love relationship. This is not just some transaction where God wants to see what kind of attitude that we have. And once we're saved, we can have any attitude that we want. No, He was molding us. He's making us. If we're truly saved, it's ongoing. It's a profound love for Him. It's that to those Christians, the definition is them that love Him. 1 John chapter 2. It says that we love Him or we will love the world, but you can't love both. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So you see, he's saying, which way are we going to go? It's that basic. In, in 1 John 2, 19, they went out from us because they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out from us that it might be made manifest that they were never of us. And what John is saying there, when the test comes, when the trials come, whether you love God or whether you love this world, it will show in the testing. It's in the trial that true love is made manifest. First Peter chapter 1 and verse 6, he talks about the manifold trial, the manifest trials that we may go through. And he talks about in all of those. And James is referring to that same thing. Then he says in verse 7, almost as he borrows from the idea of James, that the trials of your faith, he says, the trials of your faith are a validity it's a testing that shows the validity of your faith. The trial of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. In other words, he says that being tested to prove its genuineness so that you will have a genuine faith that we stand before the Lord when He comes. And that's why He says, and then in verse 8 of that, it says, Whom having not seen, you love. And again, that same thought, the test of faith is passed to those who love God. The point's simple. Those who love God are those who are going to hold on to Him by the virtue of His love toward us and our love. And no matter what the trial, they prove their faith to be genuine by persevering. What does that mean to love him? Essentially, Jesus said over and over, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. Over and over he says that. The one who loves me will do what I have asked. That's the test. The genuineness of our faith is built on true love. So verse 12 tells us here in James 1, Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. You see, it's based on that love. So let's kind of sum up this idea. Let me suggest that the purpose of testing is twofold. Number one, 
The purpose is to expose the quality of our faith. The testing. It's designed to see what kind of faith you have. Look back at verse 12 again. For when he is tried, literally, when you've been approved after testing, that's the whole idea. You can see that in your life. You can see it when tests and trials and troubles come, when there's death, when there's loneliness, when there's loss and grief and hurt and problems, whatever they might be, God is looking to see the validity of our faith. You've been approved. You've stood. You've stood because He has been there holding you. He's been there watching. And He's putting you through the fire as it were. So that the dross is burned off. And the true faith is shining forth. And those who hold fast to their trust of God in trials. Those whose faith does not fail. Though the trial continues. They show themselves to have a living and a vibrant faith. This would be a good place I could chase a rabbit and talk about how God perseveres in us. We could talk about eternal security. And that's one of the aspects here is that God does not leave you alone in this. He is there with you. He is there to carry you through. And we could really talk about how that the child of God will persevere. Because God does not leave him. We are in his hand. We are kept by God. And from a human viewpoint, we also persevere. But we see it in God's viewpoint as He is watching over us. So in other words, if you aren't kept by God, and if you chuck your faith in the midst of a trial, then how many we just have to look and say, well, maybe it was not a genuine faith. It's through trials we see the work of God, the true love of man toward God. You're secure because of God's faithfulness, His promises. We are secure that He is going to keep you. That is the exercise of His perseverance. And that means eternal security for those that have recognized that He is saved. And the Holy Spirit is energized. The Holy Spirit is there working to help you endure in faith through the trials. One theologian calls perseverance that continuous operation of the Holy Spirit in a believer by which the work of God's grace that is begun in the heart is continued and brought to its completion. Sometimes we just have to hang on to endure. Sometimes we've just got to hold on. But there's a second purpose here. that I, I, and We're just going to briefly mention this. We're going to look at this a little more next week. But the trials not only expose the quality of our faith, but are to strengthen that faith. And we're going to look at that purpose and much more. But I've given you just a little bit on your outlines and you can see that. They strengthen our faith. They do a very good purpose. For those who do not fall under the trial, you notice back in verse 12, those who do not collapse, he says, after they have been approved, you shall receive... The crown of life. Now, this is, in the Greek language, it could be translated this way. It's to receive a crown which is life. I've had to really rethink my ideas of crowns and eternal life. Because here it's equated, a crown is equated with eternal life. The point is this, the crown is eternal life. The promise of eternal life is what God has promised to them that love Him. Eternal life, the ultimate reward. 
And you say, well, I thought I already had eternal life. And you, well, you do. If you have that, if you've been on that, if you're standing on that promise, someday you're going to get it in its fullness, in its reality. It's coming. And we're still waiting for our full salvation. We're still waiting to enter into the future reward. That's why this is in the future tense. It's coming. He's spoken that you shall receive a crown. What's a crown? There are several crowns spoken of in the New Testament, but this is eternal life. At the Lord's coming, it says He will grant unto us the fullness of eternal life. It reminds me of 2 Timothy 4, 8. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown, which is righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me at that day, and not to me only, but also to them that love His appearing again. It's coming again. We are looking forward. At that time, the Lord comes and He takes us unto Himself. There will be a crown, and that crown is eternal life. There will be a crown. That crown is righteousness. His righteousness. We will at that moment have eternal righteousness, eternal life. And I believe that this refers to that eternal life, and we were going to receive it when Christ comes. So we can look at crowns maybe a little bit differently but I hope that you just get the idea of this just a little bit. And all of the rewards that the Lord will grant us are wrapped up in eternal life, aren't they? 1 Timothy 6, 12. Fight the good fight of faith and lay hold onto eternal life. The fullness of that eternal life, he says in 1 Peter 5, 4. When the chief shepherd shall appear, you will receive a crown which is glory. So it's eternal life, it's righteousness, it's glory. Those are not crowns that belong to different Christians. Those are crowns that belong to all children of God. All of us, all Christians will receive eternal life, eternal righteousness, eternal glory. By the way, in Revelation 2.10 mentions the crown of life again. And there's promise to those who were faithful unto death who went through the trials, it's that same context. He's writing to the church at Smyrna that you have tribulation for a short period of time. And if you prove yourself faithful through that, even if it means death, you'll receive eternal reward. See, eternal life is not by endurance. It's not earned by what we might gain, but it's the idea that He is there watching over us. So we know for sure from history in Josephus, the Jews did not participate in some of the Greek games, but they understood the idea of the wreath, that crown, the Stephanus. Not a crown like a kingly crown. The Jews recognized because Herod the Great brought Roman games into Israel. So they understood that. They knew about these games. And that's what James is talking about here. There is a crown of life for you to be the victor in the games. There is a reward for a continual love, for eternal life, eternal righteousness, eternal glory for those who have endured and seen the trials and seen God's help in that. How can we practically endure trials? How can I do that? What is the practicality of endurance? That's what James wants us to hit on. He's very pragmatic. It's not enough to say I must persevere. James wants me to know how I persevere. 
He says to count it all joy. To have a joyous attitude. To have an understanding mind. Verse 3. Knowing this. To have a submissive will. Verse 4. Let patience have her perfect work. Let it do what it's going to do. And then he also continues on having a believing heart. Don't have a wavering faith. Verse 6. But ask in faith. Verse 8. Don't be double minded. And then in verses 9 and 10 and 11. He's saying talk about having a humble spirit. So the way to go through trials victoriously is with a joyous attitude. An understanding mind. That's to perceive the reality of the trial and the purpose of it. It's a submissive will. Accepting it from the Lord. Getting under it. Learning what He wants you to learn. Having a believing heart. Not wavering. A humble spirit that's willing to accept anything. Now that's how we handle trials. Thank you for listening. We hope you've enjoyed the message. If you want to hear Paul in person and are in the Stockton, California area, we invite you to join us at Landmark Missionary Baptist Church, 301 East Alpine Avenue. That's near the University of the Pacific. He brings the Bible message every Sunday at 11 a.m. and other times as listed. We trust you've been encouraged, challenged, or generally built up spiritually. If this lesson has sparked questions on this or other topics, please see our contact information in the description or email us at sclofministry at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you.